Jesus was on the earth, some of his critics said, you know, have these people stop praising you. You're just a man. He says, no, if, if they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. I'm so glad we didn't leave it to the rocks to crowd and praise him today, right? We've got some living stones right here today that are singing praises to Jesus. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We've sung, we've fellowship, we've prayed, and now we get to hear from God's word. Thanks be to God that he's given us his word. But we need, to, we need to be ready to receive it. So why don't we bow in a word of prayer and get ready to receive the word of God this morning. Our Father in heaven, what a feast uh, that we've sat at this morning. <clears throat> Singing of your goodness, of your praises. We actually even get delivered as we praise your name. We just sang that there isn't any other rock that we could stand on for our hope, for our future, for our forgiveness to remove the shame and guilt that sin brings other than Christ alone. And so in Christ alone we come to you today and we thank you for this time. And now, Father, we, we get the opportunity to continue to feast at your table. You prepare a table before us even in the presence of our enemies. And we have this feast of your word. And, and I pray, Father, that as Peter wrote in 1 Peter, crave pure spiritual milk. Father, we want to crave pure spiritual milk as a newborn babe does today. And that milk is found in your word, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, do a work in our hearts today that it wouldn't just be words that we read from a page and certainly not words from a preacher behind a pulpit with a microphone but oh, that we'd receive it for what it really is, the Word of God. Uh, transform us and change us. Open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things out of your law today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, you can turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, it's on page 860. If you're using the pew Bibles there provided for you, I'll let you figure it out if you're using your own Bible that you brought. I don't know what page it's on. <laughs> or open your phone application, whatever you use to see God's Word with your own eyes, I encourage you to do that. Well, today we're starting a new series, and uh, I'm excited about this series. It's going to be five parts. It's kind of a short series, uh, but we're going to be looking at Second Peter and Jude. You may be wondering, why in the world are we trying to cover two books at one time? Well, uh, it seems as if the Apostle Peter and Jude, the biological brother of Jesus, were hanging out together. <laughs> Because they wrote very similar things in these two books. In fact, if, if, if you like to study the Bible, a lot of times you'll use a commentary, right? And, and so, uh, scholars' uh, thoughts and, and their research of what they do about the Scripture passage. A lot of times, commentaries, you'll find that Second Peter and Jude are actually presented together because the content there is so similar. And so scholars think that perhaps Peter borrowed from Jude or Jude borrowed from another. Either way, we know that it's the Holy Spirit that gave us the Scriptures. Amen? And so we're going to be taking a look at 2 Peter and Jude together over these next five weeks. And this, this series title is called Reminders. Reminders. How many of you need reminders to remember things throughout your day, right? Uh, maybe you tie a string around your finger. Or maybe you write it on your hand or on your forehead so that you'd see it in the mirror. I don't know. Uh, how many of you remember this uh, a few decades ago? You're out and about somewhere and you'll ask to borrow somebody's phone or maybe even use a pay phone, whatever that is, right? And you leave a message on your answering machine so that when you got home, you could remind yourself about something that you needed to remember to do. Anybody ever do that before, right? Um, I, I was joking in the first service. He was here in the first service. He's not here now. I, I won't say his name still because I don't want to embarrass him. But just this week, it was so funny. Uh, somebody that I work with, he walked down the hall and into the office and then he just stopped and froze. And I was walking out of the break room or something and he and I locked eyes and I'm kind of like, is he okay? He had this blank stare on his face. And like he was looking at me for some reason and I was getting a little bit terrified for a moment because this intense look he had on his face. I was like, hey man, are you okay? I forgot why I walked into this room. And he couldn't remember, remember why. And I said, man, I'm so sorry. I can't do you any help. And so he needed a reminder. And so he had to go back and go back to his workstation and sit down and remember what he's, ah. And then he got up and he came back and remember why he walked into the room. Anybody ever been there, right? Yeah. 
So we need reminders, and, and so this series is, is about reminders, and, I, and I, love, I love the invention of the smartphone. It has a lot of ills and a lot of problems that come with it, but what I love about it is the Reminders app, and I use it like crazy because it gives me so much relief because I, I may talk to my wife, my kids, my mother, one of you even sometimes, and, and I try, hey, I'm not being rude, and I pull out my phone, and I say, I just need to set a reminder for that so that I don't forget because that's important. And what people need me to do, what they ask me to do, and what I'd like to do for them, they're important, and I don't want to forget these things. So I set reminders. And so a lot of us will say, hey Siri, or hey Alexa, or hey Google, or hey whatever, remind me on such and such a day, and sure enough, boom, on that time, boom, there's the reminder. And I go, yes, that is so helpful, right? But we need reminders. And, and so Second Peter and Jude are going to be uh, presented to you in a way that's going to help us understand that they are writing because they wanted the church to have reminders about what's most important. And in fact, we see that that's the purpose that even Peter and Jude state for these letters. So we see in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 15, he writes, and we're going to actually cover this text next week. Uh, Pastor Tim Wallstrom is going to preach. But it says this, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And, and he made clear, he, Jesus made that clear to Peter in John chapter 21. Uh, Peter had denied Christ and Jesus came to Peter and he restored the relationship once again. But he told Peter, you're going to die for my name. And so Peter knew that that time that, that, that the Lord had promised to him or had told him or foretold to him, it was coming soon. And so before he leaves the scene, Peter says, I know you've heard this stuff before, but I want to remind you. And this is an encouragement to a preacher today because some of you I know, you've been sitting in pews and churches for longer than I've been alive and there's nothing that I can say from the Word of God that you've probably not heard before. But thanks, Peter. I'm going to remind you even though you've heard it before, right? Amen? <laughs> But we need reminders. And he goes on to say, I will make every effort to see that after my departure, after his death, you will always be able to remember these things. And praise be to God, 2,000 years later, we have that written right here in the scriptures. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, he, he states it again, the purpose. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you, probably 1 Peter, and many of you were here last year in 2019 when we went through 1 Peter, Triumphing in Troubled Times was the series. He says, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So again, the purpose is to say, I don't want you to forget the most important things, and we need reminders. Sometimes we don't like those reminders, but we need them. And what Peter is saying, these are truths that are so precious and things that are so important, I do not want you to forget them. Jude, in a similar way, in Jude verse 5, there's only one chapter in Jude, so you just say Jude 5. But in Jude 5 it says, Though you already know this, I want to remind you, Jude says. And so it's the idea of these reminders. And we're going to be looking at what is so important that Peter felt like, even though these people that he's writing to, even though they had heard it, they need to be reminded again. And what we're going to see is that there were some dangers that were creeping into the church in the first century. 1900 years ago. Now, if you remember 1 Peter, uh, Peter was writing in his first letter to say, hey, I want you to be prepared so that you could stand firm in the midst of opposition that will come from you from, uh, to you from the culture. You're going to be persecuted. In fact, some of you are already being persecuted, Peter writes. And in fact, it's a good time that he wrote that letter because the persecution was about to ramp up. But he writes this letter to say, I want you to know how to handle that and stand firm in the midst of opposition from the outside, from the culture. Now, Second Peter and Jude, they're writing reminders for this reason. I want to remind you of what's so important because of the dangers, not without, but from within. The dangers inside the church. Can the church be a dangerous place, friends? It can. Now, we're a called out people. We're a people redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And, and, and eventually, one day, Jesus is going to present to the Father 
His pure bride, the church, without spot or blemish. But in these days, there's all kinds of dangers and ills, false doctrines, false teachings, sins and temptations that can creep into the church and can get us distracted off the message. And so Peter and Jude were so careful to say, you must remember. So we're writing these things as a reminder to you. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of 2 Peter. 2 Peter verses one, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And the title of this opening sermon is A Sure Thing. A Sure Thing. Have you ever heard the phrase, there's no such thing as a sure thing? You ever heard that before, right? Uh, you know, if, if, I don't know, maybe in a former life or maybe recently, I don't know. Maybe you've been to a place and you want to put some money down on red, right? And you're playing roulette or something. Vegas, Reno, who knows where it is. And you're sure, this is a sure thing. And it falls on black. And there it all goes. No such thing as a sure thing. Maybe, uh, maybe it was that, that job, that career track that you said, this is a sure thing. I'm going to make a ton of money. I'm going to excel. And all of a sudden, you get let go from that job and your career is in shambles. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you thought, this relationship is foolproof. There's no doubt about it. But then you find that that person that you trusted in so much is walking away. Not a sure thing. Maybe you've had to learn the hard way that there's no such thing as a sure thing. And so it's hard sometimes to be vulnerable, right? When you've been hurt and it's raw and it's painful. There's nothing that's sure, so you're not really willing to take a risk about anything because you feel so hurt and skeptical. Where Peter is writing to this church in probably the similar region that he wrote in First Peter in Asia Minor and modern-day Turkey. But he says, I want you to be reminded about some things so that you can know that you can have a sure thing. He gives us two crucial reminders so that we can make our lives, make sure that our lives are a sure thing. Let's take a look together at these first few reminders so that we can have a sure thing. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, it says this. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He's given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins." Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. And Peter is writing, I, I want to remind you about some things. And, and what I love here is that we have two reminders First of all, he's going to remind us about what you got, what you have in Christ. And secondly, he wants to remind us about what we're to do with what we got. <laughs> what you have, first of all, he wants to remind us. And then to say, I want to remind you that you've got to do something with what you have. And when these two come together, when you have something and you do something with what you have, you can have a sure thing. Now, I'm speaking ambiguously, and, and I'm kind of doing that because I don't want to tip my hand here. What is it that we have? 
What is it that we have that Peter is showing us that can give us the foundation for a sure thing? Again, in verses 1, 1 through 4, he, he writes, he introduces himself, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow, what a, what a verse there for a moment. Let's just pause for a second. Do you see what he's doing here? He says, God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Unequivocally, Peter is writing, I believe that Jesus Christ is God and Savior. Amen? Through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, we have received, or you have received, a faith as precious as ours. A faith as precious as ours. Some of your translations may say, a faith of equal standing with ours. So let's take a look at this for a moment. He's writing to these churches, these people that are far from uh, Palestine, where Jesus worked and ministered, right? And he's saying, you have received a faith as precious as ours. And as he's speaking, he's talking about himself, and he identifies himself as an apostle, as a sent one. We know that there were 12 apostles, right, that lived and worked intimately with Jesus during his life. Not only did they walk with Jesus and see his miracles, but they also witnessed the great event of his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and ascension. They saw this with their own eyes. They heard the voice of Jesus with their own ears. They ate food with Jesus with their own mouths. They shook their hands or hugged Jesus with their own arms. And Peter, the apostle is saying, you have a faith as precious as ours. Now, this faith, oftentimes we think of faith as something very subjective. It's something that you believe in your heart. Like, I have faith that the sun is going to go down later, and the sky is going to get dark. I believe that. Now, I think I have a good reason to believe that, but I believe that. But that's my own belief. You may not believe it, but I do. So that's the subjective side of faith. It's something that's very personal. But what he's saying here, it's not talking about the personal aspect of faith. It's talking about the objective reality. The, this body of truth that we have. We, we use it in terms of, we believe the Christian faith. The body of truth. The message of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us in that salvation that we experience through him. Jude uses it this way. He says, I encourage you or I'm exhorting you to contend or fight for or stand for the faith. So he puts a definite article for it. So it's this, this thing, this body of truth. And so what Peter is saying is that you have a faith, you have a salvation, you've got a gospel message, you've got a savior, you've got a God, and you've got a faith that connects you to him that's as precious as the one that I have. It's as precious as that of the other apostles. It's as precious as those who have founded the church, what Peter is saying. He says it's precious. It's value, valuable. It's of equal standing with the apostles, according to Peter. This is encouraging news for me, friends. Now, now I, I, I often think to myself, man, if you'd have put me back in the first century, my faith would just be so on fire. If I could have seen the feeding of the 5,000 with my own eyes, oh my goodness, my faith would be so on fire and so committed. If I could have been there to see Jesus on that cross, to see the suffering that he experienced, and then to see him buried in that tomb, and then to go see the empty tomb, and to see him risen again, my faith would be so on fire. Thomas was one of those people. He was a doubter. He had worked and ministered with Jesus. And then, uh, and then he ro Jesus rose from the dead, but Thomas hadn't seen him. And he says, guys, I I've walked with this man, uh, you know, our Lord for, for all these days and years and months, but this is a little bit too much to believe. Unless I see him with my eyes and touch him with my hands, I, I can't believe this. This is ridiculous. You guys are just making this stuff up. Jesus appears to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, come here. See, see the wounds in my side and my hands. It's me, Thomas. I'm alive. And Thomas gets on his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. He had a complete change of heart. Why? Because he saw, he believed, he touched, he handled this word of life as the apostle John talks about it. 
And Jesus tells Thomas this, you're blessed because you see. Blessed are those who believe and who don't see. And Peter is writing to us in this book, and he starts out by saying, I want to remind you first and foremost about what you've got. You've got a faith as precious as ours. Oh, praise be to God, friends. You know what? I'm not Peter. I'm not James, John, Paul. I'm not any of those guys. I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not John Calvin. I'm not even Phil Howard. But you know what? I have a faith as precious as they do. And so do you today. This is the foundation of a sure thing. Be reminded, you've got a first-rate faith. A first-rate faith. Cutting edge, top of the line. You didn't just walk into the store and look for the clearance rack and say, yeah, I guess this is the only one I can afford. You didn't walk into the car lot and say, man, just find me the cheapest used car I could find. You drove off the lot with the top of the line, the best vehicle with all the bells and whistles that you could ever have. You've got a first-rate uh, faith today, friends. Praise be to God. A faith as precious as ours. Doesn't matter your ethnicity. Doesn't matter your economic background. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. When you come to God through Jesus Christ, you have the most precious faith you could ever have. So Peter wants to remind us of what we have. We have a first-rate faith. He goes on to say, uh, verse 3, His divine power has given us almost everything that we need to live a godly life. Uh, his divine power has given us most of what we need for a godly life. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Down to the detail. Down to the minutia. You know what, today, uh, there, there's some Sundays I feel like, you know, I'm really prepared. Lord, thank you. I'm praying. I'm asking the Lord. The Lord sent somebody today to me to equip me to live a godly life. He sent a brother. He's in the choir, and he came down in the first service during prayer time, and I thought he needed prayer. I was going to pray. He goes, no, no, no. I'm here to pray for you. The Lord impressed on my heart that you need prayer today to do what he's asked you to do. And I just was blown away. I said, Lord, you're giving me everything that I need for a godly life. I needed an encouraging word today. And guess what, friends? It showed up. It showed up in a brother of Christ. He's given you everything you need for a godly life. Some of us walk through this Christian journey and we think to ourselves, man, if I only had this advantage or that advantage, or only if, you know, I started out my life this way or that way, or, or if only I, I lived in this region or, or had that house or had that spouse or maybe those kids, oh man, I can live a super godly life. But today, not only do you have a first-rate faith, but you have everything you need because of God's divine power for a godly life. Everything you need. A life that looks like the way God would live that life. He's given you everything you need for a godly life at home with your spouse and with your kids. He's given everything you need for a godly life, a life that looks like God in front of your neighbors, in front of your coworkers, and in front of your classmates. He's given you everything you need for a godly life when you feel like the weight of temptation is on your back and you feel like, I can't bear it any longer. He's given everything you need. Will you go to Him? We've got a first-rate faith. We've got everything we need for a godly life. And it goes on to say... Verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through, this is how it gets there, through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Verse 4, through these, probably His own glory and goodness, through these He's given us His very, very great and precious promises. Great and precious promises. You've given promises. You see, if you're a Gentile today, you are not a child of promise according to the Old Testament. You're outside the covenant of promise. You see, the promises were given first to Abraham and his offspring, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to his sons. And then it was advanced through Moses and the Israelites entering Israel. And then it was advanced again to King David. But oh, the beauty of this gospel message of the scriptures. God promises, he says, I'm going to bring a blessing. And it came to Abraham that through him all the nations would be blessed. This is a first-rate faith, friends. 
Through Him, we've been given His very great and precious promises. Paul writes uh, in 1 Corinthians, he says, all the promises in Christ are yes in Him. You look at a promise in the Bible. Will He keep me in the storm? The answer is yes. You look at a promise in the Bible. Do I have hope in the face of opposition? The answer is yes. Do I have hope even if I'm lying on my deathbed? Do I have hope beyond the grave? The answer is yes. What if I'm dealing with guilt that I cannot overcome because of my sin in my past? Can I get over that guilt? The promise is yes. If I've been cast out of my family and I've been shamed and I feel just so ashamed by my past and the community that's looked at me as an outcast, do I have a promise to have honor and hope inside the community again? The answer is yes. Do I have to fear anything in life or death, principalities or powers, Satan or demons, or maybe my, somebody wants to come into my house tonight and kill me? Do I have a hope beyond that? And in Jesus Christ, those promises are yes and amen. We sang it this morning. He will let nothing separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Great and precious promises. Wow, Peter, I could listen to you all day. You have a first-rate faith. We've got everything we need for a godly life. We've got great and precious promises. And it goes on to say, verse 4, these great and precious promises so that, here's the purpose, through them, you may participate in the divine nature. You get to get God's nature in you. Now, there's all kinds of philosophies and religions out there. Some of them say that we all start with a divine spark or, or through different means that we can somehow become divine. It's not what Peter's talking about here. We don't become divine. All right, what he's saying here is that God's nature comes in you. Well, what does that nature look like? It's, it's helpful to look at what the opposite is. Let's take a look at the rest of verse 4. He says, you may participate in the divine nature. What does that look like? Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. How many of you know we live in a corrupt world? Oh, man, it's corrupt. And, and many of us feel ensnared by it, entrapped in it. In fact, you can't really live in this world without recognizing on a daily basis, oh my goodness, it's so corrupt. It's so wicked and it's breaking down so quickly and we feel trapped by it. But God and His grace and these great and precious promises, this first-rate faith that we have, everything that we need to have a godly life, He says, you get to partake in the divine nature. You don't have to follow the evil desires of your heart any longer. You could start saying, I actually have God's nature living inside me so that I can live differently. I can live in a healthy way. I can live in a wholesome way. I can live in a way where there was hatred, now there's love. Where there was war, now there's peace. Where there was despair, now there's hope. We get to partake in that, friends. Get to participate and have communion in God's nature. God's nature in you. This is what you got. Peter wants you to know this desperately. He wanted them to remember. He said, I, I know you've heard this stuff before. Valley Bible Church, we've sat under excellent preaching for so many years, but we cannot forget these things. Remember, 1 John 3, 9 says this about this partaking of the divine nature. It says, no one who's born of God will continue to sin. No one who's born of God will continue to sin. Why? Because God's seed remains in them. His sperma, his DNA actually becomes a part of who they are and they cannot go sin, sinning because they've been born of God. Friends, today, if you are in Christ, you've got God's DNA inside you which causes you to live a completely different life. I don't walk like I used to walk. He made the difference, right? We sing that song, I love it. He makes the difference in my life. I get to become a participant of God's nature living out through me. His character, His values, His perspective, His view, His love, His peace lived out in my life. So in case you, you didn't think you ever got anything, Peter wants to remind you about what you have. This is the foundation for a sure thing. A sure thing. A first-rate faith. Everything you need for a godly life. Great and precious promises and God's nature in you. Have you received this faith, friend? Have you received this faith? You see, so many religions get the order mixed up. 
And we're going to see here in just a moment, reminder number two is about putting forth effort. But first, we've we got to start here. So many religions teach that in order to get all the benefits of, of the religion, whatever the religious system is, you've got to work as hard as you can, and you've got you to make sure you cover all the bases and check all the boxes, and, and hopefully you didn't miss too many, right? Because nobody's perfect, right? And then you hope at the end of your life when it's estimated and when it's evaluated and judged, hopefully, hopefully, you'll get the benefits of that faith, of that religion. So you put forth the effort and then you get, you get the gift at the end. But pay attention to the order here. <laughs> what Peter is saying, the foundation for this sure thing, first and foremost, friend, is that you've received a precious faith as a free gift. I want to ask you today, friend, have you ever received the gift? Have you ever received the gift? Don't come here to try and go through religious rituals or religious ceremonies thinking that somehow you could earn God's favor. Friend, that is the path to hopelessness. That is the path to despair. That is the path to uh, uh, no hope, no surety. It's, it's a path to being unstable in all your ways. But when you come here and you say, I know that I'm not worthy, but I thanks be to God that I can receive a faith as precious as even the Apostle Peter, you could say, I know I've been given a sure thing. Do you have a sure thing today? We want you to receive Christ today if you've never done that. We'd be fools to think that everybody in here is a devoted follower of Jesus. We know that's not true. Have you received this first-rate faith today? Oh, we invite you to. Just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Turn from your sins, confess Him as Lord, and you could have a faith as precious as ours. That's reminder number one. What you have in Christ. Now let's look at reminder number two, verses five through seven. It says this, for this very reason. Now again, he's talking about what you got. For this very reason then, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Peter is first reminding them what you've got. Now he's saying, this is what you're to do with what you've got. What you're to do with what you have. And here's a way to summarize it. He says, I want you to devote maximum effort to add godly virtues to your faith. Now you could say, you know, uh, I, you invite me over to your house for dinner next Saturday night. You say, yeah, I'll make an effort to be there, right? That means I'm going to try, right? But there's a chance that I may not, right? Uh, meaning sometimes if I'm really rude, I, if something better comes up, I'm probably not going to come, right? That's kind of rude, right? Or, you know, who knows? Maybe it's the unexpected. Maybe it's an illness or something like that. Peter's not saying, I just want you to put forth an effort. He's saying, I want you to make every effort. Every effort. No matter what part of your day you're living right now, you've received a precious faith. And right here, right now, I'm reminding you, make every effort, devote maximum effort to add God-like virtues, to add God-like ways of thinking, God-like ways of behaving and speaking and talking and loving to your faith. You've received it. It's precious. It's a free gift. Now what do I do with it? Use it to the maximum to live a godly life. You see, oftentimes we're afraid. It's like, well, is it effort or is it grace? Is it, is it a free gift or is it something that I have to work for? Oh, friends, Peter had no problems. There's no tension here, right? He has no issue saying, you've received it, now work it out with all your heart. The important part is we get the order right. We receive it first and we work it out. But friends, I'm telling you today, Peter is calling us and reminding us, Make every effort to add godly virtue to your faith. And he gives us this list. And now this list, uh, this list is probably not comprehensive. It's probably a representation. You know, it's, he didn't list every godly virtue. He listed some of the virtues. And there's goodness. There's knowledge. There's self-control. Think about self-control. And, and two of the big vices that Peter and Jude are trying to address with these false teachers from within the church are greed and sexual immorality and sensuality. And what Peter is saying is that you should be characterized, make every effort to characterize your life with self-control. And then with self-control, perseverance. Don't give up quickly. 
and godliness and mutual affection and love. Again, this is just a representation of some godly virtues, but notice that faith is the root and love is the goal. Faith is the root and it always ends up turning itself outward so that you're loving others, loving others. Faith is the root, love is the goal. But he says, I'm here to remind you that you've received a precious gift and now I want you to devote maximum effort to add godliness to your faith. Paul writes this way in Philippians 2.12. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He, you've received it, and he goes on to say, and it's God who works in you. So he's saying you received it, now work out the salvation. Hebrews six eleven through 12, it speaks similarly. Listen to this, it says, we want each of you to show the same diligence, diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. Listen to this, we don't want any of you to become lazy. Are there such things as lazy Christians? But he says, but I want you to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what, was been, what has been promised. He's saying, you're following in the footsteps of those who've gone before you. And these people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and Noah, and, and Daniel, and, and David, and, and Ruth, and Rahab, these weren't lazy followers of God. They put forth the maximum effort. And I want you to imitate their way and not be lazy what, what he's saying here is this, is that the Christian faith, it, it, it can be compared to sitting in a boat. And, and sometimes we can think of the Christian life as sitting in a boat on a lake. And you sit in the boat on a lake and there's really not a lot of work you've got to do. If you're out there fishing, you just kind of sit there and put your rod out there and you're going to probably stay in one spot. It doesn't take hardly any effort at all. But knowing the kind of opposition that we face out there, the kind of opposition that we face in here, and the kind of opposition we face in here, we got to row with all our hearts. See, the Christian life isn't like sitting in a boat on a lake. It's like sitting in a boat, in a creek, and you got to go upstream. You, everybody's moving this way. They think like the world. They think with Satan's values. They think with fleshly values. They think with sinful values. But here I am. I've been given this precious faith. And what am I to do? Don't just drift with the crowd. I'm called to row like crazy. Make every effort to add godliness to your faith. You see, we treat faith also as something like we, we just put it on the shelf. You know, whether it was when you, you prayed the prayer to receive salvation or you came forward at an altar call or maybe you were sitting with somebody at Starbucks over a cup of coffee and they shared the good news with you. And you said, yeah, I think I'll buy that. That sounds great, right? And you take that faith and you say, this is going to be really great when I need it. And you put it on the shelf and you say, okay, Sunday, maybe a couple times a month. I'll use it on a few Sundays a month or and I'll put it back up there. Or, hey, this faith is great and I'll use it when I'm, I'm sick or when, you know, uh, someone uh, close to me dies or something and I'll pull that Christian faith down. It's real important to me. But I put it up most of the time, Monday through Saturday. And I certainly put it up when the 49ers are on television. Or I certainly put it up when somebody cuts me off on the freeway and I feel like I just want to cuss them out. Or I certainly put it up when, uh, you know, there's an opportunity to either be honest and, and lose or to be dishonest and, and try and get some more for myself. I leave that stuff on the shelf. The Christian life isn't meant to be kept on the shelf. It's meant to be utilized it's a gift that's been given to you and it's to be unwrapped and used and put forth maximum effort to say, I'm using it in my workplace. I'm using this faith at home. I'm practicing this faith and, and godliness with my neighbors and my coworkers and my classmates. It impacts every relationship in my life, every area of my life. It impacts how I balance my budget, how I use my resources, how I use my time. Peter is saying, you've been given such a great gift. Devote maximum effort to live a godly life. Have you been living with your faith on the shelf? Is this something that you just pulled down this Sunday for a few hours and you check the box and you take it home and you just put it back on the shelf to collect dust until the next time you show up? That's not the kind of faith that, that Peter says can give you a sure thing. There's no surety there. It's a dusty old faith, and we've got to wonder, is it even a gift that you've received in the first place? 
So we've been given two reminders. Let me ask you today, is, is your faith something that's been on the shelf? When was the last time you took it down? When was the last time that you devoted maximum effort to living a godly life because of what you've received in Jesus Christ? It's convicting to me. I know it's tempting for me to compartmentalize. Well, this is for my own pleasure. Jesus, you, you've got this. You know, I get, Jesus, you know, I'm on staff. I, I get to devote so much time to you. Just give me these few minutes, right? He says, Matthew, that, that's not how it works. I'm the Lord of all your life. I'm giving you a free gift, a precious faith. I'm calling you to make every effort to add godliness to your faith. How are you doing today? Well, the title of the sermon is A Sure Thing. We've been given a sure thing in, in Jesus Christ, but we've got to put forth maximum effort. Well, what's the result? The result is a sure thing. Let's take a look at verses 8 through 11 again. First Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. It says this, For if you possess these qualities, those godly qualities that we read through, in increasing measure, if you're growing in this, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. The first thing about this sure thing, because he's reminding us that we've received this gift, and as we increase in godliness, because we've received the gift, here's the first sure thing. You won't be a bust. You won't be a bust. Now, the way I use that term is I, I use it in terms of sports analogies, right? I love sports analogies, and it's football season. And, and one of those things that if you're a football fan is that you, or a basketball fan or whatever fan, is that you love that time of year when your team can acquire new talent, right? And, and you're looking for that talent and, and, and you've been watching, you know, college sports because that's where they're going to draft these new players from. And you're eyeing this one dude and he's, you know, he can jump higher than everybody. He can play harder than everybody else. And you finally get that player and he's on your team and your franchise just dumps a whole bunch of million dollars on this guy. And he's not even played a second yet in the game, right? All this money, all this hype, and you're so excited and his entire career is derailed by injuries. His entire career is derailed by a me-first attitude rather than a team-first attitude. His entire career is derailed by just not realizing his potential. We call that a bust. All the potential in the world, all the talent in the world, all the natural gifts and abilities that anybody could ask for, but he turns out to be a bust. And what Peter is saying is that when you receive this gift and you make every effort to add godliness to this free gift that you've been given, I guarantee you it's a sure thing you won't be a bust. He says it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. It means that you, won't, you will live in such a way that you will not have no life at all. Ineffective means lazy or useless or worthless. You ever feel that way sometimes? I, I just feel like I, I, I'm worth nothing today for God. He says, oh no, you're worth everything to me. Just put forth some effort. I assure you, you will not be a bust. He says you won't be unproductive. You won't be fruitless. You won't be useless. You won't be barren. Jesus came and he said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit Come to the gift giver. Put forth maximum effort, and I guarantee you, you will not be a bust in the Christian life. Well, not only did they, these people have no life, they have no sight. They're nearsighted. Those that just have this faith, and they hear about this good news, and they don't put forth any effort, they're a bust. They, they have no life. They have no sight. They're nearsighted. They're blind. They don't realize the full potential of what God can do in a life like this. Oh, friends, Peter's reminding us, a sure thing is this. You receive the free gift. You put forth maximum effort. And I guarantee you there's no way you will be a bust in the kingdom of God. Yeah. I don't want to be a bust. How embarrassing. And those, those players, you know, after... They become a bust and everybody goes, oh, what a waste, all that money and hype and everything. They don't even want to show their faces in those cities anymore, right? It's embarrassing because every time somebody sees them, they say, oh, man, you are a huge draft bust. It's humiliating. I don't want to be a draft bust. 
I, I, don't, I don't want anybody to look at me. I certainly don't want to look at me. What a waste of potential. You've been given a first-rate faith. And when you devote maximum effort, make every effort to add godliness, there will be no shame. There will be no disappointment, no unrealized potential. God wants to work through every single one of us. Well, finally, we won't be a bus, but we'll finish victoriously. You will finish victoriously. Look again at uh, verses 10 and 11. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, there it is again, make every effort. Max, it's worth it. It's worth it. This sure thing is worth it. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. You were chosen, friend, before the foundation of the world. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, you were chosen for a purpose. And that's not just to get out of hell and go to heaven. That's to live an abundant life. You will make your calling and election sure. Now, this promise isn't offered to anybody that doesn't put forth the effort. Some of, some of us here come and they go, Man, I just don't know if I'm saved. I don't, know if, I don't know if I got it. I don't know if I'm truly one of Christ's. And they wrestle with it. And sometimes that wrestling is actually a good indicator because it's showing that the Spirit is convicting their hearts and causing them to wonder and, and get back on track again. But so many of... And, and, and we wonder too. And, and it, I would have no assurance in my heart if I said, I've received this gift, but I'm not doing anything with it. There is no promise of assurance in those pages, in this, these verses for you. There just isn't. That may sound, wow, that's really harsh. It's, it's there in the text. This sure thing, this confirmation comes to those that receive the gift and put forth effort to live a godly life. Because it's not saying, oh, look at me, I, I must really be good. No, it's saying, I've got the real gift. I've got the real thing. Jesus has really bought me with his precious blood. God the Father's really called me before the foundation of the world because I get to participate in this divine life that he's called me to live. And you could say, I'm not a bust. Thank you, Lord. All praise and glory to you. And, and if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, that's what I want. I want a rich welcome into the kingdom. I don't want to be wringing my hands and wondering, ooh, am I going to make it? I don't know. I, you know what? I, I believe the gospel, but my life is just an absolute disaster. It's a mess. I, I, I'm not involved in my church. I, you know, I'm living in sin. I'm addicted to the same old stuff that I used to be addicted to. Friend, you may not know God, but today he says you can receive the free gift. And when you receive it, you can live a godly life and you can have a sure thing that you will receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. This is a sure thing for God's people who've received the gift and putting forth the effort to say, I want to live a godly life. This is what Peter wanted for his audience he wanted to remind them of these things so that they could live the blessing of confirming their calling and election and being blessed. Final analogy, and then we'll close. How many of you seen the movie Rudy? Seen the movie Rudy? Came out like 25 years ago. The, uh, the football player, Notre Dame, uh, I think uh, Samwise Gamgee, he played Rudy or whatever. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, you, you, if you know the story, it's about this, this high school kid, and he's, dr he's grown up watching Notre Dame football, and he wants to play Notre Dame football so badly. And this is a long, long time ago when Notre Dame was still actually pretty good. Anyway, it was a long time ago. And, uh, and he wanted to play, but he, he was good on his high school football team, but there's no way he was cut out to play big-time college football. And he was not a very good student, and you, Notre Dame is a fantastic academic institution, right? And so he gets there, and he's not getting accepted, and people are laughing at him. His family is just like, give me a break. You just, you're going to go work in the mill with the rest of your family, right? You, you, you're not a college type, right? No way. And to play football, give me a break. One, one uh, uh, character in the movie says, you're five foot nothing and a hundred and nothing. How are you going to play big time college football? Well, he's determined. He puts forth maximum effort, and he goes there, and he can't get accepted. He says, well, I'm going to get my grades up, and he goes to the junior college across the street, and he's pouring forth maximum effort, studying, doing everything he can, and he's training on his own because someday he's going to play Notre Dame football, and people are just like, this kid's crazy. Are you kidding me? No way he's going to do it. Well, finally, the last semester before 
he's eligible, no longer eligible to transfer, he gets accepted as a student. And his grades had come up. Now he's a student at Notre Dame, but that's not the end of the journey. He wants to be a Notre Dame football player. And they allow these walk-ons. He wasn't offered a scholarship. He wasn't recruited. They didn't even know his name. He had to introduce himself to the coaches. He had to walk on the field when they had open tryouts. And he put forth maximum effort. He was half the height, half the weight, half the speed of everybody on the field. And he got his head kicked in over and over and over again. But he kept getting back up and he kept putting forth maximum effort because he saw the prize was worth it. And I love the part uh, uh, later on in the movie where there's this big time recruit and he's a scholarship player and he's a, a son of one of the great uh, heroes of the past and he's just putting forth half-hearted effort. He's got all the gifts, all the advantages, all the talent in the world, but he puts forth so little effort and the coach screams at him and says, what's wrong with you? If you had half the heart that Rudy had, you'd be first team All-America. You see, he had the talent, but he didn't have the effort and over here is Rudy with all the effort and none of the gifting, none of the talent. Peter is reminding us today, you've been given the greatest gifts you could ever have. All of a first-rate faith, everything you need to live a godly life. Now, what do you do with that? What do you do with that gift? Make every effort, every effort every ounce of what you got to add godliness and when you do you got a sure thing you'll be richly welcomed into the kingdom of god i hope that will be true of you i want it to be true of me and that's why we need each other but i want to ask you today as we close have you received the gift this precious faith this faith that's on par with peter and paul and all the other apostles have you received this faith through jesus christ we want you to receive it today. And secondly, if you've received it, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? Do you want this sure thing, this rich welcome into God's kingdom? Will you put forth the maximum effort to add your godliness to your faith? That's the reminders. The reminders for a sure thing today. You can have a sure thing in Christ. Let's bow and pray. Father in heaven, wow, I... I'm blown away that you've given us everything that we need for a godly life. We get to be partakers of the divine nature. We get a first-rate faith. We've been given very great and precious promises, and all glory belongs to you for that. In Christ alone, our hope is found. But, Father, the kind of faith that's real and genuine and is a sure thing is the kind of faith that we receive and then put forth maximum effort to add godliness to our faith. Father, I pray for every single one of us. I pray that we would be sure about two things, that we receive the gift and that we're putting forth all the effort that we can to live a godly life. And we can be sure, not maybe, not perhaps, not possibly, we could say, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I am God's child and I will be in his kingdom. Oh, I pray that that would be the sure hope of every person in this building today. We thank you for your word. Please help us to go now and share this great message with those that need to hear it, that we would enjoy the gift, and that we put forth maximum effort to use it to the best of our abilities. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're commissioned now. Go with the free gift and make every effort to live a godly life.